This is Living Truth Podcast, where our purpose is to help you understand the Bible better, live its truth more completely, and experience your relationship with Jesus more deeply. I'm Tom Hine, and I'm your host and resource person in partnership with various guests who engage with us in dynamic conversation and stories from their own lives. Hello, everybody. It's great to have you back with our second podcast as we're in a series on other religions. And this goes back a ways, I think maybe back six months or maybe even a year or so ago, as we talked about things like Hinduism and Islam and Jehovah Witnesses. And we have Peggy Scott with us today. Say hi, Peggy. Hello out there. And uh, so Peggy was just saying that she's been catching up with a lot of the podcasts. And Tell us a little bit, Peggy, about why you enjoy listening to the podcast and maybe one thing that as you've been listening that especially stood out to you as you've listened to them. Well, like a lot of people, I'm sure it passes the time when you're doing something else. So I've been spending a lot of time on the road driving So that's the first thing I think of doing. Unfortunately, I don't listen to as much Christian music anymore, but I'm listening to all the podcasts. Well, maybe we can start singing while we (laughs) do the podcast. We are trying to keep our listeners, Tom. I don't know that that's the right move. (laughs) Maybe bad choice. But I do think one thing that I take away is getting to know the people that are interviewed better. Um, when I talk to them or see them in church and some of the people that I know, think that I know very well, I don't know something about them that really piques my interest. And, um, I always respect the fact that they came in and talked. So I like getting to know the people that you interview better. Yeah, I agree. It is uh, very special. And you get to know everybody's stories and things. And one of the reasons why we have Peggy with us today is because we're talking about Roman Catholicism. And certainly for myself, for Jake, we can talk about the doctrine. But for both of us, we have friends who've been a part of the Roman Catholic Church and have had them in the past, currently. But neither of us grew up in Roman Catholic context, but you did, right, Peggy? I did. Yeah. From the day I was born and most of my family. Yeah. So we'll Mm -hmm. talk some about different experiences as they touch on different teaching doctrines in Roman Catholicism. But I think I'll start with a story that may not sound like it's connected to our subject, but it is. Um, and I was prompted because I had a, a friend, I haven't really been in touch with him. I talked with him last fall a little bit. He was an intern at a Bible church in Iowa City a couple years before I was. And then when I started attending the church, he was there. His name is Frank, and Frank just passed away. And so, you know, just, you know, you think about people when... Uh, people you've known passed away. And so when I first started coming to this church, it's a church that met out in the fairgrounds in Iowa City, Johnson County Fairgrounds, in a place called Montgomery Hall. It's like a lot of fairground buildings. It had an open area upstairs where 
kids would put their projects, that kind of thing during fairs. And then down in the basement I had a kitchen, another open area. So we would use the upstairs for worship, downstairs for Sunday school. So Frank, when I first started attending the church, I was a new Christian, but Frank didn't know it. He was an intern there. And Frank was very concerned as he met me that I would have an authentic encounter with Jesus, that I would come to know Jesus in a personal way, understand the meaning of the cross, Jesus' death on the cross for his sins, his resurrection life. And, I mean, it wasn't very long after I started attending that he was both bold and gentle at the same time. So I'm reflecting on that. I'm thinking, over the years, I've been in at least four different new churches. And how it connects with Roman Catholicism is... I'm sure there are some new Roman Catholic churches that start in various places, but not very often in my experience. Roman Catholicism has a long, long history, both worldwide and even in the United States. And so people's experiences are often very different from those of us who have either been in part of a new church start from... Uh, a Bible church orientation, and just th thinking about that, I was looking at some of my notes here. What I had written down is that the Catholic Church is proud of two complementary and important statements. One, it says that it has never changed, and yet it says it has changed very much. And what this means is that um, Catholics generally believe that they are the one true church founded by Jesus and that the Pope, beginning with the idea that the first Pope was Simon Peter, that there was what they would call apostolic succession, meaning that you began with Peter and then I can't remember who was after Peter, but the idea that there was a succession of leaders mm -hmm. and they take that from when the time when Jesus was talking with Peter and he told Peter, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So Catholics generally take that idea of the rock as being Peter himself. Now, if you look at the context, the context is that Jesus had asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And I think it's about Matthew 16. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him. And then he says, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. So the question is, is it Peter himself or his confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior? And it's some of both. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, Peter was a leader in the early church, but in terms of quote, quote, succession, the succession is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And my point being that the emphasis in our tradition is, is very different compared to Roman Catholic kind of tradition. Uh, in your experience, Peggy, you grew up in a traditional Catholic church, and I think probably for both you and me, I mean, this would be the Catholic church in the 60s and 70s, 
And so there, I'm sure there's some differences compared to today. Um, you know, my experience was mainly occasionally with my friends going to a mass and just things that they would say about, they grew up, quite a few of them, in their elementary years in a Catholic school, and they would tell about the nuns hitting the back of their hands with a ruler and those kinds of stories and just kind of wanted to get a rise out of us and show us the kind of suffering they had. Uh, so did you go to a Catholic school? when you were no, no, only because okay. there wasn't one in town. Okay. I'm sure I would have been. Yeah. And it's surprising there wasn't because it was a very small town. 400 people, I think, in South Dakota. Uh, and their What's the mascot was Montrose, was okay. the little town. Their mascot was the Irish. Okay. So you can imagine the probably 80% of the town was Catholic. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you come from an Irish kind of tradition, background? Dooley yeah. was yeah. my mom's name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the Catholic Church, I'm assuming, was very traditional, kind of a Roman Catholic Church. And people, probably many people, would gather every Sunday Yes, yes. It was very well attended, just busting out the seams every week. Um, we had um, a lot of farm people with very large families, so in that way it kind of was like the maybe misnomer now. They all had big families. We were probably small with four kids. And... I recall statues on the side of the church for the Stations of the Cross, um, and they were beautiful. They were very beautiful artwork. It was probably the only place in town that had any artwork in it, and I remember looking at those and thinking it was gorgeous. Um, they ended up redoing and modernizing the Catholic church there remodeling it making it very contemporary and and um the statues ended up in the dump mm. and people were very up in arms about that um and who knows whose whose decision it was but they everyone knew they were and then by then they were damaged of course because they so um, in that way, I, I just remember those symbolic statues were beautiful. I even thought they were pretty. And um, and the altar also was in the dump. Mm. Oof. And it, it was it, for a little that, town yeah. to have that happen. That scandal. Yeah. I, I mean, mm -hmm. seriously. Yeah. In terms of. Generally, you would think those would be that kind of situation be handled very yeah, carefully. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. what broke down or how. It was probably during the time when they went from Latin to yeah. I I forgot what it was called. I forget yeah. what it's called to a so um, they had Latin regular mass, mass. when when I was there. very yeah. little. They did. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So for someone who hasn't attended a Catholic church before, what is mass like? What do you remember? Um, and as someone who never attended anything else, it was just normal for me. Mm -hmm. But my friends who might come 
felt like it was a lot of kneeling, standing, sitting, deciding what position you had to, what posture you were in during church, but I never thought anything of it. Um, that, so, that, I mean, that was my experience yeah. because, you know, like teenagers, you'd go off for a weekend. My Catholic friends had to go to mass. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'll go with you. Sure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, I was lost the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. And then I even went up and I wasn't supposed to take communion, but I didn't know it at the time. And so I just went up, did talking what they did. Scandal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about real scandalous. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were a lot of um, symbolic things. Now I look back and I know they're symbols, but they aren't then. I mean, for instance, you all, and I know churches are much different now. That's why when you said they've changed, you had to, had to fold your hands when you went up to take communion and it was put into your mouth. You couldn't touch it at way back when I had my first communion, for instance. Um, and we practiced that and practiced that. And then it was interesting when they started distributing it in your hand, because we learned you couldn't touch it. That was the body of Christ. It didn't symbolize, and you couldn't touch it. Yeah, let's talk about that a second. Were you aware of some of the underlying ideas, theology, doctrine, of what that means? Because, I mean, that is a big, big difference difference. in terms of what we believe the Bible teaches and Mm -hmm. Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. teaching that, like you said, belief... Historically, in fact, I had some things written down that I'll share a little bit. Historically, that is thought to be the to be. very body right. of Jesus. No, I didn't know that till very much later because yeah. I didn't have enough um, questioning because it was it was given to me. So I believed what everyone did. Um, but we, it sounds like it was still a very respectful, like it was a sacred. Right. Thing, right. Oh, very. Yeah. That's something that's very, I mean, I didn't grow up in a Catholic church, and, and there wasn't a lot of um, Lutherans around either where I grew up. And so one thing that's really interesting to me is I start to become more well-read and outside of the circles I'm currently in is there is something beautiful about the respect and sacredness mm-hmm. and the ritual, and especially I'm sure looking back at, some of those rituals with now the understanding of why they're doing some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting to me. And yeah, the I change that. that kind of di- disrespect in a way. I mean, the l- lack of respect that that is going on sometimes now in contrast with that. But we still wore little black doilies on our head. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, that's what Dean calls them doilies, but they were they were just a veil that you had to put sure. on with the bobby pin, and you had to search for one real quick on Sunday morning to put it on your head. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I never questioned that either, because everybody had one on. Hmm. So I didn't know enough to question. Yeah, I mean, you're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a person is young, like you said, they go through things, experience things. They think this is just the mm-hmm. way it is. Oh, I didn't, I I could have questioned much earlier than I did. I was 30 by the time I questioned anything. Hmm. Yeah. And what led to the questioning? Having kids. Mm -hmm. 
So did you stay involved in the Catholic faith up until that point, or what did that look like? Mm, Semi. um, Married a non-Catholic, and I was not up for having him change to Catholicism. Um, so we went, I wasn't very involved. Um, and that's, that's one thing it might not come up. So I, I want to express this cause this is the one thing that I did want to get out. I've come across many previous Catholics that have decided to, I say, throw the baby out with the bathwater, just they're hurt. They leave, hmm. but they leave Christ or they leave Jesus. They leave Mm -hmm. any Mm -hmm. kind of um, remnant of what they were brought up in because somebody's hurt them. Something has hurt them. It doesn't make sense to them. So um, they just get rid of it all. Mm. And I I feel like that's a real empty way to deal with it Mm -hmm. Um, because if if something or someone has hurt you it's it's that person it's the imperfection of humans it's not christ so i i have that problem with hearing people's bad stories about any religion religion right yeah the way i always put it is People will disappoint you, but Jesus never will. Mm-hmm. Or we could say religion or church will disappoint mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. but Jesus never will. And learning how to separate the two and yet continue to be connected with other people who follow Jesus, love Jesus, those are internal kinds of things that can be hard to work through, mm-hmm. but important. I appreciate you bringing that up. Mm-hmm. So... Roman Catholics, getting back a little bit to the Mass, they would say that their belief that the bread and the cup become the body and blood of Jesus comes from passages like John 6, where Jesus talks about, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And it goes on, and then he says in Verse 54 of John 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up the last day for my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. So they would take that extremely literally and say that these kinds of passages and there's another verse or two that we could go to in a similar kind of way that this teaches this whole doctrine that these physical objects become the body and the blood of Jesus. But the problem with that is Jesus says, I am the bread of life, but he also says, I am the gate, I am the vine. And we never think of him as being literally changed into a gate or Mm -hmm. a vine. And so you have, in fact, in the book of John, the Gospels, John, you have a series of these I am statements So you need to consider the context when you read things like this. And because Roman Catholicism has this history, they hold on to these kinds of beliefs very tightly. And instead of adjusting teaching and belief to what the Bible says, they try to adjust the Bible 
to what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And this this is where these kinds of debates and theological, biblical kinds of interactions can get frustrating. A part of it has also to do with the belief in the authority of the Bible versus the authority of the Pope and the Council of Cardinals. In Roman Catholicism, they would say the Church, the Pope, the Council of Cardinals has the, quote, quote, authority to determine what's written, how it's interpreted. We, as Bible-believing people, would say, no, we think that we need to adjust how we practice, what we do according to the Bible. And then Roman Catholics come back and they say, well, that's why you have so many different denominations. You have Baptists and the Evangelical Free, and you have Lutherans and et cetera, Presbyterians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, the issue is not how many denominations you have. The issue is what what does God's Word say? And to the best we can, are we seeking to follow it? Yeah, it might eventually lead to lots of different denominations, but if your core root kind of motivation is knowing God and knowing what his scripture says, then it's going to lead you to some different places than if you just hold to religion as the first truth. And that and that can be frustrating, and it can be a divide that's hard to mm-hmm. get past. So... Actually, I found some, like I said, some historical information that you might find interesting or not. 831 A.D., a Benedictine monk named Pascasius Radbertus, quite a name, uh, he published a tract advocating the doctrine of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation means change of substance, change from Mm. bread and wine to the body and blood of Jesus. And yet, even then, there were four centuries of debate over this. So it was decreed, and so that was 831, decreed as a doctrine in 1215, and then continued to be taught down through ages upon ages. And so then, when the 16th century came, and there began to be divisions between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant groups, then the Roman Catholics really held on to this uh, very, very, very seriously. So anyway, that that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting uh, in terms of some of the development. So the Roman Catholics had issue with it themselves. Well, they just hadn't thought about it. I mean, it. oh, but they, for three centuries... Oh, you mean for during yeah. those four centuries they yeah. were debating it? They, yeah, yeah, they yeah, themselves. exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting something can be up for debate for four centuries, but then the moment it becomes decreed, it's like, oh, okay, now it is. We yeah, we don't think it. in terms of centuries. Yeah. We think in terms of last week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Uh-huh. So that's what I said. It's a very old history, which is part of the divide and mm-hmm. part of the issue. Mm-hmm. Part of the issue also is that. Even the meaning of the cross and the mass is very different. I have a quote from a book called The Roman Catholic Sacrifice of the Mass, in which they say, The sacrifice of the mass is the same sacrifice of the cross, for there is the same priest, the same victim, the same offering. 
Pope Pius IV says, I profess likewise that in the Mass there is offered to God a true and proper propitiatory sacrifice for the living and the dead. And it's the very idea that the Mass performs the same sacrifice that Jesus performed on the cross all over again Mm -hmm. in a very literal kind of a way. Jake, you look like you're thinking. No, I know, right? yeah. Maybe Seriously. I'm going to process that. Um, and so part of why Mass is so important is because Mass is, I mean, that's synonymous with communion. and it Synonymous with communion and also with death. the activity of the sacrificial death of Jesus. So I have down here 200,000 Masses a day throughout the world. Jesus is being offered up again physically as a sacrifice for sin. Benefiting both the dead and the living. So, theologically, why is that problematic? Because it almost sounds like it's just shy of a re-crucifying of Christ that's being offered up. Not right? just shy of it. It is. It is. Okay. A re-crucifying yeah. of Christ. Yeah. In a literal way, we would think of it as, when we celebrate communion, as symbolic. Yeah, very memorial, right? Remembering as a memorial, and yet, I mean, Scripture also says it's a time when we experience God's grace, Mm -hmm. and it is a special time of worship when Mm -hmm. we pray and hope and expect God to work in a special way. And so, in that sense, it's present, but we don't think of it as actually the re-sacrifice of Jesus Mm. at that point. I mean, because it's kind of saying that his first sacrifice wasn't enough, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, Mm. I don't know if I've understood that part of it before. Yeah, and I think it's kind of hard to understand. I didn't either, so that's um, revealing to me. And that makes sense because my mother used to say, there's nothing like the Mass. The mass is the ultimate, you know, you mm-hmm. no other church when when we were talking mm-hmm. about other churches and my straying, um, no other church has the mass, the mass, the mass. And I probably learned it once, but that was the problem. It was rote, it was very memorizing. So it probably was the answer to one of my questions that I had sent, you know, given to me, but I didn't, it didn't go in to my heart. Yeah, I mean, or else she I really was speaking something that's theologically very mm-hmm. deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would be a very consistent position mm-hmm. from uh, a true Roman Catholic believer, mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, she was. And I, I think... Often she was one of nine who survived in in a family without a mom and a dad during the Depression. Mm. Faith, or at least their Catholic, Catholic roots and faith in Catholicism maintained them, no doubt. Mm. Were, were they in that small uh, town? No, no. like um, 30 miles away. Okay, but, a different mm-hmm. small south yeah. of go to town. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And yet you yeah. told me down through the years you saw some changes happen um, in your mom's at life. 85, yeah. she lived to 94, but she started going to a Bible study. And mm. um, 
it it was a marked difference how she regarded me and mm. my quest for Christ. She she didn't feel like, or at least she didn't keep addressing it that I needed to go back to the Catholic Church. So up until that point, she would oh, always say oh, you need to get back to Catholic so. Church, even though you were married and had kids that mm-hmm. were elementary mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. maybe teenagers, and very so, yeah. active at that time. She, you know, um, but it was usually in letters. She couldn't talk about it, but in mm. letters, she would still write to me in letters. Mm. Um, but I, but I really never second-guessed my choices, for sure. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, some people talk about Catholic guilt. I don't think I had that, uh, and I definitely don't now. So it, it never, it just broke my heart that she couldn't see what I saw. Mm-hmm. And then she started, actually, a minister from um, an Ifri church, in the town that we moved to, 10 miles away, um, held a Bible study in a an assisted living. She wasn't there then, but she went to visit people, so she had a lot of friends that were there. And it's where she ended up living for two months of the last days of her life, was up there. And the same minister was there and mm. came and called on wow. her. So she would go to Bible studies with mm-hmm. her friends that mm-hmm. were there. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, he knew she was Catholic, and she'd say, well, I'm Catholic, you know, and he said, we don't care. Yeah. (laughs) And she'd have her Bible marked with, she stuck things in her Bible. I do the same thing as she does now. It was just chock full of little notes and things that she wanted to remember, and yeah. Was was taking part of a Bible study like that something new for her? Oh, very, very. Because, I mean, you even talked about her having faith in Catholicism rather than having faith well, in God. That's kind of why I said it that way. She told me when she was young and not even probably in her 50s, they were still saying that you really wouldn't understand the Bible if you read it. The priest needs to interpret the Bible to you. Hence, the Gospels were read, read at Mass and that was through the priest that that was his responsibility giving you information from the gospels because you weren't encouraged to read the bible wow and i i know when i talked to the youth we had a bible it was a white bible that was i don't know that it was ever opened there was no markings in it there wasn't even a marking like who it came from, it was sitting in the same place but never opened, hmm. ever. And I told the kids, you don't want a Bible like this. Hmm. I remember <laughs> that, yeah. Well, that's a good place, I think, to wrap up this episode. You don't want a Bible that's just sitting but <laughs> yeah. never opened. Very pretty. It's, yeah, it's very pretty. The Bible's not a magic ritual. It's not religion. It's the means through which God communicates his word, his will, his desire for us, and he calls us to know him, to know his heart, to know his mind, and we're so thankful, Peggy, that uh, 
the Lord has led you to him. And in the next episode, we'll talk a little bit more about your own journey. So tune in to episode three, and we'll pick up where we finished here today. 